so glad to be here with you on week four of the year of the Bible. So we've been talking about the Bible and why we can trust it, why we can rely on it. And week one, we dealt with some of the objections that some of the cynics and skeptics have as it relates to the reliability of Scripture. And we addressed some of those and taught you about why you can actually trust it, why it should be authoritative in your life. In week two, we looked at how the words of Jesus and really the person of Jesus comes to life through Scriptures and the role of the Holy Spirit in that process to remind us of everything that Jesus ever said, which, of course, comes primarily from the Word of God, from the Scriptures. Last week, I was sick, very sick. I'm still kind of on the mend, so please forgive me if I sip on some hot tea as we get through the morning. But my son Josh came. I heard that he did a great job talking to you about the power of spiritual family and the way that the Bible actually connects us. And today, I want to talk to you and kind of wrap up the series by looking at how the Bible protects us. How many know in this world, we need some protection, there's some stuff going on out there that's a little bit crazy. We, we wake up and we live in a natural world. And some of you, you wake up in the morning, you pull the shades back, the sun's out. You're like, woo, it's a sunny day. It's going to be a good day. Some of you, you opened up like this morning and you see the clouds in the sky, the doom and the gloom. The clouds are depressed and so am I. You know, you just sort of take on whatever's going on in the natural becomes your way of life. But the truth of the matter is there's so much more going on than just what we can see. There is the natural, but there's also the supernatural. The Bible teaches us about these sort of two different realms that we exist in. And frankly, the battles that take place in our mind happen in both of these spaces and in some ways for both of these spaces. Let's take a look at what the Apostle Paul has to say about this, first of all, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How many of you have ever had to take a thought captive? And make it obedient. I love the scripture tells you you have to make it. There's something for you to do. Sometimes I think that we exist in this plane where just thoughts just happen. And you're like, well, I didn't ask for that thought, but now it's there. So I just have to deal with it because it's the no. You grab that thing and you make it captive to the obedience of, of what Christ has called us to and who he is. There's always stuff going on. There's thoughts passing through your mind. And many times, especially if you're a cynical person, maybe a little suspicious person, those thoughts lead to suspicions. You start to wonder, I wonder if... He's really like, I wonder if she really thinks. And then sometimes those suspicions can lead to doubts, right? Like, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know if I've really got what it takes. I know that, you know, they told me I could do this, but I'm not sure. And so those kind of thoughts then lead to more insecurities. Like, man, I, if anybody actually knew the real me, I can't even let the, the world know who I really am because every person would reject me if they only knew who I was. And those thoughts then breed thoughts of like fear. Like, oh man, I'm just scared. I don't even want to get to know anybody because I'm probably not good enough for them. I don't know if I can really do it. You see the snowball effect of these thoughts if you don't take them captive and make them obedient to Christ. And the Bible teaches that our mind really is the primary battlefield where spiritual battles take place. And you need to know this. There is a very real daily fight for your mind and for mine. Now, some of you are like, yeah, I know, because I live there every day, Pastor. Thanks for telling me what's obvious. And some of you are like, why are you being so dramatic? I mean, I have been accused of that a couple of times in my life. But why are you being so hyperbolic? Everything's a fight. Yeah, it is. It is. It actually is. I mean, just think for a moment 
about the craziness that can float through your mind in any given day. I bet, I bet all the money I have, which isn't a lot, but I bet all of it, that somebody in this church every day is thinking, I don't know if my marriage is going to make it. I bet somebody in this church is going to work thinking, is this the week that I get fired? You look at your kids and you're like, are they going to turn out the way I hope they do? Several of you are probably going, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills before the end of the month, right? Am I even going to be good enough? Do I really have what it takes? And here's what I know. When those kinds of thoughts start to come, you have two choices. You can either take your thoughts captive or your thoughts will take you captive. And when they take you captive, you're in for a ride because they can take you anywhere they want to go, right? Romans 8 Five through eight, Paul kind of paints another picture for us. He says this, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Here's a little pro tip for you in Bible study. When you see that phrase leads to death, you should highlight it and look and see what did it just say? I mean, does anybody want to do what leads to death? I just want to know who I'm preaching to today. Okay, I didn't think so. So when you see this leads to death, you should look back and go, what is that? Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. You with me? If you're with me, say I'm with you. You don't want that. No, of course you don't. But watch this. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. That's something else you should probably highlight, underline in your Bible. What leads to life and peace? What is it? Oh, letting the spirit control my mind. You get the choice. I don't know if you know this, but you actually are in charge of your thought life. You get the choice. Now, you can't control every thought that comes in, but you can absolutely control what you do with it when it shows up. You know, it's like Martin Luther said, and I don't love a lot of things he said. I'll just be honest about that. But he said, it's one thing for the birds to fly over your head. It's a whole other thing to build a nest for them to land on. Right, we talked about this with the, with the guys yesterday in a different context. But the thoughts that come, what do you want to do with them? What do you want to do? I would suggest you let the spirit control your mind so that it leads to life and peace. I'll keep going, verse seven. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. I don't know if you know this, but you weren't born good. You weren't like, woo, I'm great, I'm good to go. No, you and I were born with something called a sin nature, a propensity to sin. And that is built inside of you. What you were going to do is what you did, which is sin and do wrong and separate yourself from God. That's all we know to do until we are redeemed. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. But what we see Paul painting here is a picture. If you read all of that and you read it too fast, it can get a little confusing. So let me break it down. Really what Paul is describing is that there are two armies on the battlefield. Number one is our sin nature. Our sin nature, that's right, you and me. Left to our own devices, we actually represent everything that is wrong, that is evil, that is broken, that is wicked in the world. In our flesh, that's what we are. That's who we are. Our sin nature, your own sin nature, is oftentimes your biggest obstacle to becoming who God's called you to be. And you just go, well, that's just how he made me. No. No, no, no. That's how the result of sin left you. That's not how he intended you to be, right? So we start out with just the flesh governing our minds. This is the result of the fall of man. And again, some of you are like, this feels a little dramatic. Everything's bad. I thought all the, everybody was good. No, not everybody is good. That's a bad theology. And if you think I'm being hyperbolic, just think with me for a second. What happens when people rule 
by the flesh, govern by the flesh, exercise authority by the flesh. If they lead people and people groups according to the natural mind and what feels good and seems good for us, what do you get? How many millions of people were killed by Stalin, by Mao, by Hitler? Never mind how many children we have killed in America or in North America. And we just do it all because we just say, well, we just decided this is what's best for us. Are you with me? Human nature leads to death. The spirit leads to life. And this is why Paul's painting this picture, this other reality, this other army on the battlefield. Number two, thank God for the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. That is the only thing that can save us from fleshly, worldly, murderous thinking. That's the way it goes. But we have a chance to pivot and go, hey, I think I want that. I want his goodness. I want his character. I want his power. I want his plan. I want his design for my life. And when you say yes to Jesus, you get that. You get the Holy Spirit. You get the presence of God to transform and change your mind so that you no longer have to be controlled by the flesh. Did you know that the Bible says that? You are no longer a slave to sin. That's what it teaches in Romans. But sometimes when preachers say that, something inside of you goes, don't listen to that. You were a sinner. You are a sinner. You'll always be a sinner. My question to you is, whose voice does that sound like? Does that sound like something God would say to you? Oh, you're totally hopeless. I can't even help you. You're so bad. You'll always be this way. I don't care if you cry out to me. Sometimes when the thoughts start to come, you just have to ask yourself, like, whose voice does that sound like? Just that, just to step back and go, who, who does this sound like? We'll help you to answer the question. Here's what you need to know. Thoughts that are rooted in the spirit are also rooted in truth. And thoughts that are rooted in the flesh are always going to be twisted with lies. Always. That's the way it goes. Why is this so important that we understand? Here's why this is so important. The enemy's primary weapon against you and me is deception. Is deception. It's not the Satanist killing dogs in the woods. That's not the primary weapon. They do some weird stuff out there, but the primary thing he wants to do in your life is to hold you in a place of deception. Have you believe things that aren't true? Where the deception starts, where the lies start, it's the battlefield in your mind and in mine. Spiritually speaking, let's just define this for a second. A lie is anything contrary to what God has said is true. If God says something is true, Something comes against that, that is a lie. Deception, here's what deception is. It's believing a lie as if it were true. As if it were true. And so this is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to deceive you so that you believe things that aren't true and then live in light as if they were true. Now John 8, has something to say about our enemy, this great Satan. It says in the back half of verse 44, he was a murderer from the beginning. He always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. We talked a few weeks ago about how the word of God is truth, which is why we have to build our lives on it. I love the song we sang at the end, I'll build my life on your love. I wish we had another verse that says, I'll build my life on your word because that is the great foundation that we can trust in. Because it is true. And in this day and age of relativism and so-called truths, your truth, my truth, their truth, we have to remember this. Truth can only be discovered or revealed. It is not invented or reinvented. Now, if you've been around for a while, you've heard me say this before, which, by the way, is kind of what we do here. You know why? Because we're forgetful people. We forget. I sometimes wake up on Monday. I'm like, what did I preach yesterday? I bet nobody remembers what I preached yesterday. Maybe we should preach it again next week until I remember it. 
We're going to keep saying things that we need to know because we leak, we bleed it out of our brains, we forget it. <clears throat> but this is true, that truth can only be discovered or revealed. Why is that? Because all truth is God's truth and God is infinite. He always has been. So you're not going to just create some new thing that's true. It always has been. Now, when we're in church, normally we do focus on truth. I'm going to spend the rest of our uncomfortable time today talking about lies. How about that? We're going to talk about lies for the rest of our time today. I want to talk for a minute, first of all, about why lies are so dangerous. Number one, you know why they're so dangerous? Because they're believable. They're believable. If they weren't believable, you wouldn't believe them. If I had like a little 1A, it would say, and because we're so gullible. Because we believe them. Because they come with a little bit of truth, Right? A lie believed to be true, catch this, will affect you as if it was. You ever had something like a perspective on something and you were so sure that you were right and you just believed it. So you acted on it, you talked out of it, you lived out of it. And then at some point you found out that you were wrong and you were shocked that you were wrong. Anybody ever been in that situation before? Maybe it's just me. Yeah, you know why that happens? Because we're gullible and we're easily deceived mostly by ourselves, sometimes by the devil, and sometimes by other people. And this is what deception is. Again, if a lie isn't believable, guess what? You don't believe it, right? People tell you stuff that's unbelievable, you're like, yeah, I don't believe that. That has no truth to it. All good lies and good deceptions will have some elements of truth in it. And the enemy will make sure to choose enough reality that appeals to you so that you will latch on to it and hold on to it as if it's true. But remember, he doesn't invent anything. He just perverts everything. That's how, there's going to be some truth in lies that the enemy uses. But they're going to be twisted truths with different outcomes and different reasons and different facts and data points. Now, the next thing that makes a lie so dangerous is this, that they fill in the blanks. You like that? Go ahead and write that down. Blanks. On their blank, write down the word blanks. There you go. Fill in the blanks. They fill in the blanks. They do. I don't know if you know this, but the human mind doesn't like a vacuum of information. You know this? Like when there's a mystery, you really want to figure it out, right? This is how it plays out. This kind of stuff has happened to me a thousand times. I'm sure it has. I'm sure it's happened to you as well. But some situation goes down and John does something kind of crazy and you're like, I wonder why John did blank. And then I'll just say it because most of us lack the courage just to go ask John, why did you do that? We just fill in the blank. John must have done what he did because of blank. And we fill it in. And guess what? That blank space the enemy loves to use to come and convince you of something that isn't true, but you'll believe it as it is. I wonder why my boss said what he said to me this morning. I wonder why I said that. He must have said that because of blank, right? I wonder why my spouse didn't blank. I wonder why they did fill in the blank, right? The vacuum is where the enemy goes. And so this is how we start to fill stuff in. See if this is familiar. John must have done that because he thinks I'm beneath him. He thinks he's better than me. That has to be why he did it. My boss must have said that because he doesn't think I'm good enough. He's looking to replace me. That's it. It's my last week. Must be why. My spouse didn't do fill in the blank. She just really must not respect me. He must just really not love me. Or worse yet, we start to fill in the blanks about God. God hasn't opened the door for me, but he must have just forgot about me. God's never going to heal me. He doesn't even care about me, right? God hasn't delivered me because he doesn't love me. Remember that question I told you to ask? When that little voice comes and says, God doesn't love you enough. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Would God say that to me? 
What voice does that sound like? Who would say that to me? Oh, that's got to be my flesh or the devil. God would never say that because I know that he loves me, right? The enemy loves to make us question God's love for us. More than that, he wants to make us question God's character. And he wants to make us question our identity in him. But here's another reason that lies are so dangerous. Number three, they play with our emotions. They play with our emotions. And they always take us negative. The lies always take us negative. Notice the lie is never this. John must have done that because he really cares about me. That's not the lie that comes to mind. Right? My boss must have done that and said that because he's trying to get my best potential out of me. Like that's not where the lie goes. You don't just, you don't just go there. You have to make yourself go to that place, right? My spouse, she must have innocently misunderstood me. Or worse yet, I probably poorly communicated. Does the devil put that kind of stuff in your mind? Even your foot? No. The answer is no. Let me help you. No. That's not the way the lies come. The lies come the other way. How about with God? You know some things the enemy will never say to you about God? God's moving. You just can't see it yet. He'll never tell you that. You have to make that. You have to grab that and make it obedient to Christ, right? God loves me. I know my healing's on the way. God hasn't delivered me because he's allowing this trial to strengthen me. That's not the kind of stuff the devil says to you. Those are the kind of thoughts you can come to when you can captivate them and make them obedient to the word of God. But I said before, the devil always has a goal to get you to question God's love for you and to question his character. It goes all the way back to the garden. Did God really say? That's the first question. That's the first deception. Just in case you didn't know this, I'll just share this with you. The devil's never going to come and knock on your door and say, hey, 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 bub. Hey, I'm the devil. I know. Don't look like you thought I would. I was wondering if you would like to hear my plan for your life. It's going to lead to mayhem, to destruction, to catastrophic loss, to trauma, to death, to murder. Sound good? Forget all that joy, peace, all that obedience crap to God. Don't even, I have a better plan. Come and talk to me. He's never going to come and do that. It's always going to come in a form of subtlety. And here's the reason I say that. Am I being dramatic? Yes, I am. I'm well aware. I'm being dramatic because you need to understand that is not how it works. So the way it works is going to be subtle. The way it works is going to have some truth in it. The way it works is going to tickle your ears and make some part of you feel good so that you will believe it and hold on to it. That's how it works. That's how it works. He is always subtle. He always manipulates. He always distorts. He makes things believable and then fills in the blanks. Oh, not all at one time, just methodically. Maybe one thought a week. Over the course of a year, a thought a week could turn you into a whole different person. What voice are you listening to? We need God's help. We need God's help to know the deception, to know what's true and what's not. And we have to remember this message is about how God's word protects us. God's word is a weapon against deception. We did a whole series on Ephesians. We did a whole series on spiritual warfare. But what did Ephesians 6, 17 say? The word, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So we take the word of God and we wield it like a sword. I don't know if you know this. I don't use a sword to clean my fingernails. A sword is used to kill bad guys. And bad thoughts. In Hebrews, right, Hebrews 4.12 tells us that it is sharp, it's active, it's double-edged. You know what that means? It can be on the offense, we're taking ground. It can be on the defense, get away from me. This is the word of God. It is a weapon for us. And so I want to talk to you here for the next few minutes about the lies that the Bible protects us from. I know you're like, please tell me some truth. I am. But I'm telling you truth by telling you what is a lie. 
The Bible protects us from a number of lies. First of all, it protects us from lies against, about God. Again, the enemy wants you to believe things about God that aren't true. He wants you to believe that God doesn't care. He wants you to believe that God doesn't heal. He wants you to believe that God doesn't speak and he doesn't do anything today. Garbage. Those are lies. If you read your Bible, you would know that. The Bible's there to protect us. Philip, when he was talking to Jesus, he said, man, I just wish I could see the Father in John 14, 8. And Jesus replies in 14, 9, he says this, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has already seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? This is why going back to the word of God is so important because it tells us who Jesus is. If we can learn who he is from the word of God, we won't be deceived about who he's not and who the world tries to convince us that he is. Deuteronomy 32, four, you wanna know some truth about God? Here we go, buckle up for a second. He is the rock, his deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. That's who God is. I don't care who anybody else tells you he is. That's who God is. Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Who's God? That's who he is. Hebrews 6, 18. So God has given both his promise and his oath because these two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us. I'm giving you a lot of scripture. Do you want to know why? Because that's where the truth is. You know, you've heard before how the bankers find out what money is counterfeit by handling what is true. So I am giving you now what is true. The Bible also protects you against lies about yourself and other people. The enemy wants you to believe something untrue about you. He wants you to believe something untrue about others. He wants you to not have your correct identity, but to have a wrong identity. Meanwhile, our true identity, once we've called upon the name of the Lord, is as sons and daughters of God. Look at 1 John 3, 1. See how very much our Father loves us, that he calls us his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who believe and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Speaking of your worth and your value, how about God's word in Psalm 139, 13? You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Oh, in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. You're like, pastor, that's so much scripture, I can't write it down. I know because sometimes your heart and my heart is like the limestone in Central Texas and you go, I wanna go camping and you take that tent stake and you gotta hammer it and hammer it and hammer it to get it through. So I want to get the truth through your your heart and through mine that God is for you. And if God is for you, who could be against you? Last one. The Bible will also protect us against lies about culture and society. Listen, the enemy wants to define what culture and society will look like. The enemy wants to tell us how things should be done. Oh, sure, yeah, you could just kill all the unborn babies you want. That didn't come from God. Oh, sure, if people disagree with you, just go to war with them and slaughter them and just take their, take their stuff. That doesn't come from God. When we follow God's ways, look what Proverbs 14, 34 says. You want to have a great nation? You want our nation to be great again? 
Godliness makes a nation great. But sin is a disgrace to any people. So you can put your red hat on, your blue hat on, your purple hat on. You can go to any country you want. You want to know how to make it great? Be godly. You want to become a disgrace to the world? Oh, entertain sin, love it, and call it normal. Don't think and act like the world does. We have to think and act like God does. Romans 12, 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. This is the battlefield right here between your ears. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If you haven't highlighted that in your Bible, you should. His will for you is good, pleasing, and perfect. And as the spiritual family that is the body of Christ, we've been called to live in a different way. A way that loves people, that cares about people, that puts others ahead of ourselves. And by the way, we don't become one in the body by celebrating everything that makes us different. We celebrate what makes us the same. It's the blood of Jesus. An empty tomb. Galatians 3, 26 and 28, watch this. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one. Say one. You are all one in Christ Jesus. I talked to you a few weeks ago about how there's no neutral ground in the world we live in. Influencing is always happening. Either you are being influenced or you are doing the influencing. If you think you are neither, you're being influenced. There's no neutral ground. The world would like to put an emphasis on everything that makes us different, where you came from, what you look like, what you like, how you like to eat, and let's go celebrate all of that. That's cool. I'm glad that we have diversity in the world. But the Bible is putting an emphasis on what makes us the same. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people unto me. And again, at the foot of the cross, at the empty tomb, in the upper room, when the Holy Spirit was given, not to just a few tribes and groups of people, but to all people who would call upon the name of the Lord, we find our purpose, our sense of unity, our oneness in Christ. And this is our testimony to the world, that we can come from different backgrounds, we can come from different things, and then we change and conform how we think, how we live, our identity, not to what we want, but to what the Word says. This is the power of a unified church, and this is the message salvation to the world. Here's the thing. Your salvation is in God's hands, but your destiny is tied to your relationships. My mom's here today. She was playing keys. My dad's here too. Second service. Say, tomorrow's my birthday, I guess. It's my birthday present. Mom came to play piano in church. Thank you for being here. But she's sitting here, and I'm thinking about all these little postcards she used to put up in my bathroom when I was a kid, you know. You are who you hang out with, you know, that kind of stuff. Bad company corrupts good morals. You know, all this stuff that she would tell. And it's true. It's true. I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have spent like a season of your life with people, trying to impress people and get in with people that were on a highway to hell, not living for God's purposes? And next thing you know, you wake up one day, maybe in a drunken stupor after a bad decision going, why am I trying to be like them? Your destiny is tied to your relationships. Jesus said, you are my body. 
I said this a couple weeks ago, but somebody asked me, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? I said, I think it's because God's not satisfied with the size of his family yet. I think he wants more. I think he wants more. I don't know when enough's gonna be enough, but all I know is it's not enough yet. He wants more of us to say yes to him and yes to each other. This is why your salvation, it may be personal, but it's never private. It's always about each other. This is why we tell you to get involved. When Raya and Stacy are up here telling you about mobile services, yes, it's true. Many hands make light work, and a few people are doing a lot of it right now. But the real reason we want you to get involved in a serve team in a small group, because that's where you get connected. That's where you make friends. That's where people get to know you, if you're honest. I mean, you can walk around with your head down and kind of be grumpy and not ever talk to anybody, and then, you know, you'll get what you get. But if you open up your life and engage yourself and be involved with other people, God has so much in store for you through those relationships. This stage, this music that's awesome and the sermons that are okay, I guess, this is part of it. But the church gets to be the church when you serve alongside one another. When you show up in a small group once a week and you bare your hearts and you wrestle through the scriptures and you apply it to your life. This is where we become who God has called us to be. And it's actually the promise. It's a good thing. It's not a laborious thing. Jesus said, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Is it a little work to show up to a small group? Do you have to adjust some priorities? Maybe skip a soccer practice once in a while? Yeah, you do. What you're going to get out of it is so much more. So much more than what you get if you didn't. Before I close today, I just want to invite a friend of mine out, Landon Smith. You've seen him up here, whether you know his name or not. He was up here earlier playing the guitar. I couldn't see you hiding back there. You're in all black. It's because I want to hide. I was waiting for the, <laughs> hello, I'm Johnny Cash. Landon is, uh, I, could, I could spend more time than I have telling you how much I love this man and have come to love this man, how much I respect him, appreciate him, how valuable he is to me personally, to our family and to our church. He has supported us, him and his wife Heather are back here in so many ways that none of you will probably ever even know about, but they have given so much of their time, talent, treasure, family, life, everything to help see God establish a church in Liberty Hill. But Landon's been on a journey himself over the last couple of years since we first met. Where did we meet? Hell or high water. That's right, because come hell or high water, we were going to plant this church in Jesus' name. So we met there for the first time. Step in the light, Landon. I didn't want to be in the darkness, but everyone wants to see your beautiful face. So we met there. Landon was friends with Pastor Stephen, our founder, and they had been a part of a church together in Denver, and, and Landon and Heather were living here in this area. So Stephen said, man, you guys got to meet, and we hit it off right away, and, and Landon quickly became a friend and then became so much more than that. Um, but God's had him on a journey and of changing your mind and changing how you see things and changing how you think about things. I'd love for you just to talk about some of those crucial moments over the last few years and how God's used his word and community to help the trajectory of your life. Sure, so a couple years ago, we got here to Vintage um, and kind of life has roller coasters. And so since we've helped start plant, planting Vintage, we've kind of been on a downward uh, into a valley. And I think um, with the spiritual family that we have here and spending a lot of time every day trying to seek seek the kingdom first, right? Seek what, what Christ wants first. Um, it's really influenced everything in our life, but, but our marriage, um, our friendships, everything, and some of the deal, things that we're dealing with right now that are on paper uh, should have us extremely nervous, anxious, anxiety. The only anxiety I get is when I get on a stage. So, um, But it's been crazy to... to to seek what God wants to, wants me to say first, um, and and to watch my wife do that too, and how some of these situations that we're in right now are so much better 
and could have gone so much worse if we wouldn't have done that first. Um, I have plenty of stories, but... Yeah, so we were talking a couple weeks ago, and he was just telling me about sort of the power even of your devotional time and using that to change your mind. So your whole business has changed. Like your established business that was doing well, you've mostly set to the side and started a whole new thing. That's Anybody's ever been a part of a startup will know what that comes with, a lot of work and small paychecks, right? Um, but, but you talked to me about how God had changed and transformed your mind, and now your why is a little different. Maybe you can share a bit about sure. that. Yeah, I had a great business, a uh, great business in Colorado, uh, Texas, and then decided to step away from it and go into something else. Um, and right after I kind of did that, a whole wave of things uh, kind of came at us. Uh, but we really stayed focused on going to Christ first before we did things. And a couple weeks ago, I was telling Nate, <clears throat> I was at my wife's, who's also a startup, small business owner, um, her office, and I was doing my, my prayer time in the morning, which done consistently, um, go work out and pray, go work out and pray. And um, I was telling Nate, I was on the, I was on the ground um, after my devotional and I was in tears because like, I had this crazy, crazy peace in the midst of all of this stuff that should be just burying me. You know, it, whether it's financial, whether it's lawsuit potential, whether it's, you know, moving or like, things that would normally stress or break a marriage I can't even remember the last time I've argued with my wife. Like, it's amazing. And so I think you have to be able to, to, to have that peace, right? You can have the peace in the good times, peace in the bad, but you have to be able to look at everything around you that doesn't make sense and have faith in that to be able to have that peace that, that doesn't make sense, right? And I think that the, the joy can't exist without peace, right? Peace can be any, any, any time, right? And, and joy can too, but they have to be together. So anyway, it's just been really, it's been really cool to watch and exciting because instead of just getting stressed about a situation, it's like God's sitting there going, hey, if I would have told you all the stuff that was going to happen, you would have stayed at your really well-paying business that was running like a well-oiled machine, but like you wouldn't have stepped out of that and gone to this other thing that I want you to go, you know, move towards. And so instead of looking at everything around us right now and freaking out, we're excited and we're still enjoying the ride, right? But that doesn't come from anything except that and spiritual family, the, the, the Beths, the Dans, the Andrews, the Eric's, the D's, the you, Ashley, uh, list goes on. It's crazy uh, how much being a part of a spiritual family has been just so impactful to our family. That's great, man. Well, we're so glad you're here and your family has impacted ours. And I brought them out because frankly, I just, I'm, man, I'm proud of you. And I learned so much from you as well. Every time we talk, you know, just it's when you see a life that has fully surrendered and submitted and you hear the backstories and you hear through the tears about the ways that God has, has changed and adjusted and corrected and tweaked and moved away and brought in new and every time it's like but I'm just so determined to follow Jesus and what I'm doing I'm so determined to try to lead my family well I'm so determined for my why to be about him and not about me it's inspiring it's inspiring and so I mean thank you you, you stand up here and sing and do all this stuff but you know you have so much more to offer and I appreciate the way that you lead even just by the way that you live your life so thanks again man let's give it up for Landon thank you sir Listen, if we can press into the word of God, if we can learn to share it with others, if we can use it to build our lives, we can discover our purpose and be who God's called us to be.
Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting vintage.church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.